0: You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love
1: If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony. Well, there's nothing you can't ask on the
2: Savage Lovecast.
3: We usually play listener comments, listener feedback at the end of the show, but I'm going to make an exception today. This was the first call we got last Tuesday after the show went out.
4: Hey Dan, it is May 3rd and I am so glad that your intro didn't get into politics, did not talk about what's going on with the leaked Alito uh, Roe decision and all the other horrible crap that's going on in the world. I am so tickled that you started off with OED and pegging and pissed. And cunt, I cannot tell you. It is such a relief from the horrors of this awful time that we're living through. Thank you so very much.
3: We started with the OED and pegging and pissed and cunt last week, not to show some sort of restraint, not to give our listeners a break, but because we record the intro to the Lubcast on Monday mornings and the SCOTUS leak of the Roe decision written by Alito repealing Roe, scrapping Roe, rescinding Roe. That leaked Monday night. If I had been able to get back into the podcast box late Monday night to record an intro that was all about abortion, I would have. So I'm sorry to say to you, caller, I am going to get into politics. Top of this show this week, just a little. I'll try to be brief and then we'll get to the show, your questions, my answers, a diverting sex scandal. A couple of guests not here to talk about abortion you want to hear more about what I think about abortion, more about abortion at length, then you're a Magnum Savage Lovecast subscriber. You can listen to last week's Sex and Politics with Dr. Stacey DeLynn. SP is a special bonus podcast I'm doing now for Magnum subs. If you're not a Magnum subscriber and you want to hear that, become a Magnum subscriber today at savage.love. All right, two things I really want to quickly address. This bit of misinformation that's flying around is kind of driving me nuts. Well, It's not exactly misinformation, but it's information so partial that it rises to the level of misinformation. Restrictions on abortion in countries lefties usually admire for their progressive social policies. Bill Maher brought it up on Real Time last Friday.
5: Like in Europe, the modern countries of Europe, way more restrictive than we are, or what they're even proposing. If you are pro-choice you would like it a lot less in Germany and Italy and France and Spain and
2: Switzerland.
3: And Nellie Bowles brought it up on the TGIF podcast also
2: last Friday. I was talking to a friend earlier this week and she is pro-life and she was saying, you know, honestly, I'd settle for, for Denmark's abortion laws. And I kind of paused for a second. So I was like, well, wouldn't Denmark's abortion laws be much more progressive? But I looked it up and I had no idea about this. So in, Denmark, Finland, Greece, Ireland, Italy—I'm I'm literally reading through list—abortion on request is banned after 12 weeks. Of course, in the case of danger to the mother, you can have an abortion later. But it's banned at 14 weeks for France and Germany, Spain, at 16 weeks in Austria, at 18 weeks in Sweden— These are dates that would sound incredibly conservative to an American. And yet Europeans have figured out that this is actually what works in terms of a compromise between the right and the left to to get an abortion protection law on the books. Here's what didn't get said
3: on real time or on TGIF. Wished I'd been on the real time panel that night, I would have said it. This hasn't been said anywhere else that I've seen this point raised in the last week. Yes, yes. France and Denmark and Germany have abortion restrictions that kick in at 12 or 14 weeks. You know what else those countries have? France and Denmark and Germany and every other country on that list? Socialized medicine, comprehensive sex education, free and universal access to birth control, and abortions paid for by the state. Oh, and paid time off. Women in those countries who think they might be pregnant because their state-subsidized birth control might have failed them, They can take a day off work without losing their jobs and see their doctor that they already have, because they've socialized medicine, for free. And if they're pregnant, get an abortion that day for free. Ending abortion, controlling women's bodies, banning IUDs and Plan B, all of that is on the table here right now. You know what's not on the table here right now? You know what conservatives aren't putting on the table here right now? Medicare for all and free birth control, and free abortions, and then maybe abortion restrictions that kick in after 14 or 16 weeks with broad exceptions to save the life of the mother, broad exceptions for the health of the mother, including the mother's mental health. That's what they've got in France and Germany and Denmark. And that's not what conservatives Republicans are proposing for women in the United States. This is gonna get worse before it gets better. And it's gonna be a long struggle. The right fought to overturn Roe for 50 years. We're not gonna win one midterm election or one presidential election and set this right. And you know what? We really do have to borrow a page from the right. They didn't give up when they didn't get their way after electing Reagan and then Reagan again, and then Bush senior, and then Bush junior, and then Bush junior again, and then Trump. They fought for 50 years. If we give up because we don't get what we want as quickly as we want it, we'll never get what we want, what we deserve, what women deserve, autonomy and control of their own bodies and their own destinies. And I got to say, I read Alito's draft, all of it. There's a distinction he attempts to draw between abortion rights and the right to use birth control, which in the last week, Republicans have already signaled they're coming for, coming for birth control. In the right, Alito attempts to draw a similar distinction between the right to have sex with whoever you want, the right to enter into a legal same-sex marriage. And it's extremely flimsy if you read the decision. It's an aside. Abortion is unconstitutional, Alito argues, because it violates our history and traditions. There are other things that some would argue also violate our histories and traditions that are currently constitutional and rooted in the same right to privacy that alito has declared not a part of our history and traditions in his effort in their effort the five of those motherfuckers on the supreme court they're seemingly looking like it's going to be successful effort to overturn roe and alito says in his decision oh don't worry about these other rights to interracial marriage to same-sex marriage to contraception to not being arrested for having sex with somebody in your own house in privacy, because that person you're having sex with is a member of your same sex. We shouldn't have to worry about those things or don't worry about those things because, because why? Not because they're rooted in a right to privacy like Roe, but because they're not abortion. He's arguing in his decision that you can't compare these other rights to abortion rights because they're not abortion. Only abortion is abortion. So nothing to see here. We're not coming your birth control, although they are, or plan B, although they already are. We're not going to dissolve your lesbian sister's marriage or arrest your gay nephew. We swear. It has the whiff, what Alito says in that decision. It has the whiff. It has the stench of Gorsuch and Kavanaugh and Barrett's assurances during their confirmation hearings that Roe was settled law. They lied. Susan Collins was a fool to believe them, if indeed she believed them at all. And now they're overturning Roe and Casey. Alito is lying here. He is lying in that decision, that draft of the decision. He's lying. Just like Gorsuch and Kavanaugh lied during their confirmation hearings. He's lying on his own behalf and he's lying on behalf of the court's conservative majority. And you would be a fool to believe what amounts to a mollifying aside in Alito's decision About Griswold, which legalized contraception, or Lawrence, which legalized sodomy, gay and straight, or Obergefell, which legalized same sex marriage, you would be a fool to believe that that aside in this coming decision is going to restrain them. They threw out 50 years, 49 years of precedent to scrap Roe, that they'll ignore. And aside in Alito's decision, scrapping Roe and Casey on their way to overturning Griswold and Lawrence and Obergefell, yeah, if you don't believe they would do that, you haven't been paying attention. All right, coming up on today's show, we've got a couple of guests on The Micro and Magnum. I welcome our new UK correspondent, Rachel Cunliffe, senior editor of The New Statesman, to talk about a sex scandal that rocked the House of Commons, a sex scandal that involves and probably a tractor. And on The Magnum, Sarah Dysak returns to help a listener who wonders if there's such a thing as a quiet vibrator. All that coming up on today's show. Today's Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Me Undies, high quality, super comfortable, good looking undies. Get 20% off your first order when you go to MeUndies.com slash savage.
0: This episode of the Lovecast is brought to you by the good folks at Squarespace. They make it easy to build a beautiful website, blog, or online store. Head on over to squarespace.com slash savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code savage to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain.
6: Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. I am in the middle of a two-week visit with my in-laws. They're staying with my husband and I, and I am like at my wits' end, and I don't know what to do. <laughs> you know, they probably come to visit us once a year. They stay for about two weeks. Last year, they stayed for three weeks, and I set a hard boundary that that was too long and that two weeks is more than enough time and i feel so guilty because they are like lovely lovely people and i so i don't understand why i just cannot take it anymore so many people out there have in-laws that are like trump supporters or evangelical christians or emotionally physically abusive you know and my my in-laws are like progressive run-of-the-mill east coast kind of neurotic jews (laughs) and they do a lot around our house when they're here you know they are very handy and very talented in the kitchen and i'm not a great Hostess when it comes to cooking for everybody. And my husband and I both have really demanding jobs with long hours. And so we just feel like we don't have time to do that. And so, you know, we provide all of the other comforts that we can, <laughs> you know, I set up their room really nicely for them and, they're, and they have their own bathroom while they're here, which is so luxurious. But it's just something about having somebody else in your space for that long. And they really like to do everything together all the time. And, you know, he also, the two, my husband and I are introverts and, you know, his parents are definitely extroverts. His brother and sister-in-law and their two kids are extroverts and they are not staying with us, but they live in our same city. So whenever the parents come in and visit, everyone ends up kind of hanging out at our house because we have the most space and they're just sort of here all the time and the kids sleep over and stay, you know, stay all weekend and It's just so much. And I literally find myself like fantasizing about getting divorced when this happens. (laughs) I'm like, you know, I'm able to steal away like an hour here and there to just sit in my room, just away from everybody, just like doing whatever I can to recharge. And I'm literally like Googling apartments and like seeing how much it would cost if I wanted to like get my own place. I mean, it's like absolutely ridiculous. And it makes me feel so guilty because I feel like this is just a normal everyday life thing that that's like a cliche and a trope that people joke about, but people just deal with. And whenever this happens and they descend upon us, I feel like my life is over for like two weeks and it I, I'm just absolutely miserable. I guess I'm just wondering, is this normal? Does Do other people feel this way? Do I need to like go to therapy about this? Uh, please, I would love, love, love your thoughts, Dan.
3: I'm an introvert, too. Dinner, getting through an entire meal with the in-laws in the house, for me, is kind of a trial. Just dinner, I have to slip away now and then. And every once in a while, Terry has to pop upstairs and tell me I need to come back down. So... Yeah, some people have the in-laws come and stay for two or three weeks or a month at a time. God bless those people. I'm not one of those people. Seems to me that if your in-laws are lovely, understanding, kind, compassionate people, you should be able to be honest with them about who you are and what works for you. If that's not something you could do, if it would really hurt their feelings, if your husband would get really upset with you, if you just said to them, look, you can come for the weekend, you can't come for two or three weeks. Or if you come for two or three weeks, you're going to have to get a hotel room because I need some time every day where the door shuts and I am with my husband. We are the only people in our space. You can't say that. Well, then maybe you need to run a little bit of interference for yourself. If they're coming for the allotted two weeks, which is already one week less than they would like to come for. Maybe you conspire with your husband that in that two-week period, you're going to have a work thing that you can't get out of that's taking you out of town, a conference for three or four or five days. So you were seeing your in-laws for three or four days on either side of your business trip that couldn't possibly be rescheduled and that coincidentally and conveniently enough keeps getting, keeps happening. You keep having to have these business trips when they're in town, if you can't be honest with them. But yeah, you're going to need to do something about this with your husband's help. If when his parents are are in town, you're contemplating divorce and hunting for apartments on Apartment Finder or Craigslist or houses on Zillow so you can get away from your husband forever so that you're never, ever going to have to be with his in-laws or his parents at all. That's a problem. And it's a problem that you and your husband are going to have to solve together.
7: Hi, Dan and the tech savvy at risk youth. I'm a 44 year old by male in a monogamous relationship with my gay cisgendered male fiance and we live in London, England. We've been together for the past eight years, and we'll be getting married this summer. I'm a top, he's a bottom, and we still have the hottest sex ever. However, there's something about our sex that I need some insight from you, or perhaps from the bottom listeners out there, for some peace of mind. I have never seen my partner come, and it's racking me with guilt. I've always tried to give him an orgasm, but he does not like any contact with his dick. He will ask me to focus on his ass. His cock doesn't even get hard during sex. All of our foreplay is focused on my cock and his ass, along with body massage and nipple play. He squirms and is very vocal when I eat, play with his ass and fuck him. While fucking him, he often goes into convulsions, which he tells me are his orgasms. Nothing ever happens with his cock. I'm an ass man. So I'm getting the satisfaction I need and despite having conversations with him on why he doesn't want his cock to ever come into play and insists he's being satisfied, I have this guilty voice in my head telling me that I am being selfish. I hear your voice, Dan. Use your words. We've talked about this many times and despite this being all he says he needs, sometimes I ruminate in my head that I'm doing something wrong and that I'm being selfish. It may give me some peace if I knew that guys like this really exist. Are there any cisgendered men out there who have had no desire to get their cocks into play? I've never encountered anyone like this in my sexual history.
3: Huh. I would call you back if I had your phone number, because I have a couple of questions. For instance, does your fiancé ever ejaculate? Does he masturbate on his own? Can he get hard with and for himself. Maybe that's relevant. Maybe that's not, you know, because if part of what's the problem here for you is that you take pleasure as so many, you know, guys into sex with other guys do take pleasure in seeing your partner get hard, get off, ejaculate, you know, one of the things that you're not getting out of this relationship is the satisfaction of your partner blowing a load down your throat, of your partner blowing a load all over your face, of your partner coming, ejaculating, having a penal orgasm and not an anal orgasm while you're fucking him or being fucked by your partner until he comes in you or pulls out and comes on you. So it's not just, you know, that your partner doesn't get hard. Your partner doesn't come. It's not just, he's missing out on some things that you value about sex. It's also possible that you are missing out on some things that with other guys you enjoy in your relationship with your, your future husband. All that said, you know, of course, I'm going to tell you to use your words. You have used your words. What you're not doing here is allowing your partner to use his words or believing him when he uses his words. You guys have been together for eight years. Sounds like you have a pretty good sexual relationship. It sounds like your partner isn't just grinning and bearing it for your sake and not enjoying the sex that you have. I can't imagine that he's been faking these convulsions. They, you know, these waves of whatever comes over him when you're fucking him that he describes as his anal orgasm, his butt orgasm. I can't imagine that he could successfully fake that for eight years. If it was an act, he either would have grown tired of it himself by this point, or you would have seen through it, but you haven't. So, You've used your words again and again and again. You've asked and asked and asked. He's told you. He's used his again and again and again and told you that this is how he enjoys sex. And he has, and you know, during sex quite clearly again and again and again over these eight years enjoyed himself and enjoyed you. So at a certain point, you're going to have to just take him at his word. You're going to have to take yes for an answer. Yes, the sex you have, with your future husband works for him and he enjoys it. And then you're gonna have to grieve and get over what he doesn't bring to the table and accept that this is what sex with this man looks like. Again, my original opening follow up question for you Does he come when he's on his own? Does he jerk off ever? That seems relevant. Is there something about being in a room with another person that chases his erections away? Does he enjoy sex with you and later jack off about the sex that he had with you? Does he ever ejaculate? That's, I think, germane. If he's capable of doing that when he's not in the room with you, when he's alone, it seems to me that you should be able to find a way to tiptoe up to him being hard and maybe coming with you in the apartment with the doors closed and you not in the room with him and then maybe in the room with him, with him wearing a blindfold, but you not touching him or even getting in the bed and being really quiet. So he kind of forget you're there. And then you in the bed, maybe holding him while he comes. If indeed he's capable of achieving and sustaining an erection and having an orgasm, a dick orgasm, clearly he's capable of having those anal orgasms. I don't know about you, but at this point I am pretty much, Desperate for summer. We have been having a cold and wet spring here in Seattle. I want to be at the beach, iced tea in my sweaty palm and looking at all the barely clothed fellas. And in this fantasy, I'm wearing me undies makers of the most breathable undies, loungewear and swimwear known to mankind. Speaking of sweat, summer is sweaty, but your butt doesn't have to be. Your butt shouldn't be. With me on light and breathable micromodal fabric, you can stay comfy and cool and unsweaty and unswampy all summer long. They have super fun seasonal prints and tons of styles to choose from in sizes XS to 4XL. And some of their designs are summery and sunny, which means you can bring the beach to your butt without ever leaving your living room. If you do dare to brave the heat and venture to the pool or the beach, I hope to see you there, but First, check out their new and improved swimwear styles. Nancy has her eye on the tankini style. And Terry, of course, looks good in every single style they make. They're soft, stretchy, and sustainably made. Make it a soft summer with me undies. Me undies has a great offer for my listeners. For any first-time purchasers, you get 15% off if you sign up for their free-to-join membership. You can apply that 15% off to their already discounted membership prices. All right. Go get that 15% off your first order at 100% satisfaction guarantee at MeUndies.com slash Savage. Let them know the love cast sent you. MeUndies.com slash Savage.
8: Hey, Dan. So I just had the do you want to have children talk with the guy I'm seeing. And I told him I want kids one day, but I don't want to give birth, meaning I'm totally open to foster or adoption at any age. And he said, I lied on the app about wanting them. I told him I didn't lie, that he assumed by wanting kids it meant giving birth to those kids. When he asked why, I told him about how I've had issues with my body image, and the thought of gaining and trying to lose all that weight terrifies me. I also told him how I didn't want to risk a collapsed bladder, gestational diabetes, mastitis, literally tearing myself apart down there, and the list goes on. He said it was selfish of me, and I told him how can it be selfish when he would never have to put his body through that, I've talked to my girlfriends and some of them have said I should just lie and say medically I can't have kids, but I don't want to start a relationship off with a lie like that. What do you think? Should I just lie or keep going with the truth?
3: I think you should go with the truth, but you need to go with the whole truth. When you are on a dating app as a woman and you say that you're open to having kids, guys who also want to have kids are going to make the very reasonable assumption that what you mean is what most people mean by that, that you're open to having your own biological children with a future romantic partner. That is not the case. And so, yeah, technically you told the truth, but you know, in actual practice, it's not like you misled him. Well, maybe you misled him a little bit. You allowed him, the guy who got upset and said, you weren't telling the truth. You allowed him to make a reasonable assumption that in your particular case, is not an accurate assumption. So you need, if you don't want to get into these sorts of situations with other guys in the future who are very likely to make this same reasonable assumption based on your being open to quote, having kids, if you don't want to have another ugly conversation like this, you need to make it abundantly clear that what you mean by wanting to have kids is that you want to adopt. I don't think you should lie and say that you're incapable of having children because then you're going to get a lot of questions from the guys you date about why you're so diligent about using birth control or requiring them to use condoms if you're physically incapable of biologically having children. I guess you could spin the lie out and say that you could get pregnant, but it would be too risky for you to get pregnant, and so you have to use birth control. But uh, what an effort to lie in that way and dissemble. No, no, don't. Tell the full truth in such a way that no one is going to make a reasonable but an accurate assumption in your case. You're looking for a romantic partner and you want to form a family, but you do not want to have or cannot have because you don't want to have biological children of your own. So you're looking for someone who already has kids. You say you're open to foster and adopt at any age. You could become a step parent. You're open to dating somebody who already has children or you're open to dating somebody who would like to one day foster and adopt or adopt as you would like to. You know, what you're doing is a little bit like the person who's already got a spouse at home, but is in an open or polyamorous relationship, asking someone out on a date or going out on a few dates without disclosing that they're already married to someone else. When you ask somebody out on a date, when you express romantic interest in someone and they don't know that about you, they're going to make the reasonable assumption that, you know, you want to go out on a date. You're interested in them romantically, that you you're being auditioned for primary partner, that this is potentially a relationship that could go somewhere, maybe to marriage, which is why people who already have spouses need to tell people not just the truth. The truth is I would like to date you, but the full truth, I would like to date you. I'm polyamorous. I already have a wife. That's the full truth. When you say to somebody, I want to date you, you allow them to make the reasonable but inaccurate, in your case, if you're poly and you already have a spouse, assumption that you're free and unencumbered, not entangled, not in any other romantic, much less committed relationship. It's manipulative when we let people make assumptions about us that they're likely to make, that we know they're likely to make, and that we know are inaccurate and that we know might cause that person or prompt that person not to want to date us in the first place. It's a shitty thing to do. Don't do shitty things.
0: This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your presence and growing your business or creative or political project online. Stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell stuff. In the past couple of years, a lot of us have reorganized how we do business and get our creative work done. Squarespace can really help you to put yourself out there and run your projects efficiently. They have so many features that I can't get to them all in this ad, but I'm going to list off a few. Member areas Squarespace makes it easy for you to monetize your content and expertise in a way that fits your style. With member areas, sell access to your content like classes or online courses or newsletters. Email campaigns. Collect email subscribers and convert them into loyal customers. Start with an email template and customize it by applying your special sauce ingredients like site colors and logo. Built-in analytics measure the impact of every send, baby. Blogging tools. Squarespace has the tools to share stories, photos, videos, and updates. Categorize, share, and schedule your posts to make your content work for you. Seriously, there is so much more. Squarespace is like your savvy business partner. They think of everything. Head on over to squarespace.com savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code savage to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com savage and use the offer code savage.
3: We're going to take a quick break from your calls to speak with the Savage Lovecast's new UK correspondent, Rachel Cunlip, Senior Associate Editor of the New Statesman. Hey, Rachel, welcome to the show. Hi, Dan. Uh, I wanted to talk with you about a sex scandal that just played out in the UK that rocked Britain. I love sex scandals. We need our sex scandals at a time like this. Who was it? What happened?
9: (laughs) It was an MP who you probably never heard of, uh, at least not not before the last couple of weeks. Neil Parrish, Conservative MP for Tiverton and Honiton, who was revealed uh, after a, a week where we were wondering who it was to have been the MP who was caught watching porn on his phone in the House of Commons chamber on uh, at least two occasions. we got to
3: stop right there because I think a lot of my listeners may not know what an MP is.
9: Ah, uh, like a congressman.
3: A member of parliament. Yes. Now... As far as I'm concerned, anywhere there are men, and anywhere there are men with smartphones, and anywhere there are men with smartphones and a signal, some of those men are going to be looking at porn, even at work, and maybe one or two women too. How is this such a big scandal, and why is it a bigger problem than than my initial reaction made it made it feel like for me?
9: Sure. Um, so the issue isn't that he was watching porn on his smartphone. As you say, men watch porn. This is this is not news. It's not even for me that he was watching porn at work when you might have hoped that he was dealing with confronting any of the thousands of problems that the UK is currently facing, like taking a break to watch porn, fine. It's that he was doing it in the House of Commons chamber, which is a very crowded space, there isn't actually enough space for for all the members of parliament to be in there at the same time, um, where he must have known there was a very high risk, in fact, almost a certainty that he would be seen by his colleagues, in particular, his female colleagues. And I have been uh, listening to the show for long enough to know that if if you do that, it's not because you're addicted to, to porn and have to watch it every second of the day, anywhere you go. It's because you're actively getting off on the discomfort uh, and the unease and the shock and the shame of the the female colleagues who who see you doing it. And you're sending a very clear message that you have impunity and can act however you want and that the the comfort and respect of your colleagues isn't really something that you think is important. Um, Now, the, the context for this and the reason this story actually came out when it did is because the Conservative MPs were having a meeting about um, how female MPs felt and the sexism they faced. And the reason they were having that meeting is because one of our tabloid newspapers ran a story which said that uh, a different female MP, uh, who's, who's a Labour MP, one, member of the opposition, um, had been distracting our Prime Minister by the audacious crime of uh, crossing and uncrossing her legs. And that there was absolutely no way that the prime minister could be expected to stay focused and concentrate when when she was doing this. And obviously that's an incredibly sexist story. And that's why they had the meeting to discuss sexism and misogyny in parliament. And it was at this meeting that two separate female MPs said, yeah, I've spotted this guy doing this. It's not great, is it?
3: And he did it more than once.
9: Yeah, he did it more than once. Um, His excuse, this is great, by the way, um, the first time was an accident. He was Googling tractors and accidentally ended up on an adult website. I would love to hear from your listeners how how they think that that happened um there's been some speculation that he was googling a type of tractor a type of combine harvester called the dominator now i've, <laughs> I've tried to retrace his google steps uh, i can't do it if it was called the dominatrix combine harvester maybe um but i am not sure i'm not sure i buy that as an excuse and then he admitted that the second time he liked the tractor porn so much he he went on and, and sort it out and did it again
3: Okay, that's a little hard. I don't know how you get from Googling tractors to watching porn on the floor of the House of Commons. And it isn't that the House of, you know, the floor of the House of Commons is such a sacred space that nobody could ever look at porn there. It is about the double standard of the conservatives accusing a liberal member of parliament of trying to distract the prime minister, a la Sharon Stone in Basic Instinct, by crossing it and uncrossing her legs, at the same time that their own conservative members are making it sounds like conservative members of parliament who are women feel uncomfortable on that packed floor by watching porn without giving a shit that they're going to be observed.
9: Exactly. Um, it, it's for a bit of context. Uh, 56 members of parliament um, of, of various parties, that's nearly 10%, Uh, are currently under investigation for sexual misconduct. There have been some very high-profile cases of conservative MPs recently. Uh, One of them sexually assaulted uh, an an aide. There have been other accusations of uh, harassment of of staff. It's an ongoing scandal. We even have a word for it, Pestminster, uh, as opposed to Westminster. Um, And it it really is a part of a toxic culture that makes a lot of women very reluctant to go into politics, either as politicians themselves or even as political journalists, the culture is telling them that they don't really deserve to be there. uh, And that if there are men who act in quite horrendous ways, there won't be any consequences for them.
3: I don't mean to laugh uh, at Pestminster. It's just a play on words. It's good, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's really good because sex pest is kind of a Britishism. Uh, for someone who's a sexual harasser at work or just annoying about sex or won't shut up about sex. But it kind of encompasses everything from somebody who's just, you know, telling you too much about their weekend to somebody who's rubbing up against you in the elevator is a sex pest. So Westminster is what people in the UK call Congress, basically, the seat of government, Westminster. So Westminster made me laugh. I don't mean to make it sound like I think it's funny that there's so much sexual harassment going on uh, in the House of Parliament.
9: Yeah, uh, and it's it's a real issue, um, and I think that needs to be the the focus of what we do after this story. There have been uh, lots of talk about how porn is the problem, and um, how can men help themselves when we live in such a porn-focused culture. And I don't think that's the issue. At all, I know lots of men, they're all very capable of watching porn in their own time, in their own private spaces, and not drawing uh, unsuspecting, unwilling women into whatever fantasies they're having because they get off on the fact that they can do this with impunity and the women can't say really
3: no. One last thing about this scandal that I thought was interesting is th- this member of parliament whose name I've already forgotten and we can all forget.
9: His, Neil Parish. <laughs>
3: Neil Parrish. His wife came to his defence.
9: Yeah, she did. Uh, but it was quite an odd defence. She said, you know, obviously, you know, it wasn't it wasn't great. I wish she hadn't done it. Fine. Um, but then she basically said it takes two to tango. You know, I don't like this content, but the women are posing in the content. So essentially, what can he do? And it was just such an odd defense that the idea that because pornography is being made, uh, he has no choice. So he's totally helpless in having to watch it in the first place and also having to watch it in a very inappropriate place. So, again, uh, that. That blurring of what the issue is. The issue. I just want to be very clear on this. Is not that an MP watched porn. Uh, it's that an MP didn't have the professional sense and respect to not do it in front of uh, of his colleagues and not make them part of his his porn tractor fantasy.
3: Rachel Conlip, senior associate editor of the New Statesman and our new UK correspondent of <laughs> Savage Lovecast. Magnum subscriber. You can find her on Twitter where she talks about politics, the news, sometimes sex, and often cats, at R-M Cunliffe, which is spelled C-U-N-L-I-F-F-E. Thanks again, Rachel.
9: Thanks, Dan.
5: Hi, Dan. So I hooked up with a guy last week, and for the first time, and we were texting the next day, and he mentioned he had an OnlyFans and a dirty Twitter account. So of course, he sent me the link, and alongside all the normal fare on there, he's got a lot of exhibitionist videos. You know, one with him with his ass out in a public restroom with the caption, come fuck me at the car dealership. Another video of him walking along a public parks boardwalk with his ass and dick out. And then there's a video of him jacking off onto the welcome mat of his entryway for all of his neighborhood to possibly see. So looking at these clips, I couldn't help but worry about him, considering all the Fox News and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert fearmongering about evil gay grooming pedophiles. All it would take is one Karen lumbering by to ruin this guy's life. You know, not to mention, what if some kid did unintentionally get exposed to one of his exhibitionist moments? So regardless, I was a bit turned off by all this and tried to politely cancel our future plans by explaining the exhibitionism was a bit too wild for me. And then he he posted our chat, without identifying info, as a screenshot on his Twitter to call out the prudes of the world. Petty, but I guess as Nora Ephron would say, everything is copy, so I I don't blame him for using our chat in that way. So mostly I'm just looking for your opinion on all of this. You know, am I the asshole for being turned off by all that and immediately thinking the worst, you know, that this guy is going to get arrested for indecent exposure or worse.
3: I think what happened, your your discomfort with what he told you, what he showed you, his exhibitionist OnlyFans and Twitter account wasn't so much about prudery, but about wanting to be with someone with good judgment. Now, To be fair to this guy, maybe he goes to great lengths to ensure that no one is gonna walk by when he's jacking off on the in the entryway to his apartment, or showing his ass on the boardwalk and his dick on the boardwalk at the beach, or pantsing himself, showing his ass in a public restroom. Maybe he's got a friend who helps run his OnlyFans and runs interference for him, and is out there guarding the door. Maybe he shot that Jack off video outside his front door at three 30 in the morning after peering up and down the street to make sure there were no Karens or kids lumbering by, but yeah, probably not. You know, most exhibitionists are turned on by risk. Most exhibitionists are comfortable with the idea of somebody out there who didn't want to see that, seeing that and Yeah, they are risking arrest when they do that. And if you're going to be involved in the sex life or romantic life of somebody who takes those sorts of risks, even if you don't participate, you don't make those videos with him, if you were their partner, yeah, if it should hit the fan and the police are at the door, that's a nightmare you have to deal with too. Even if you were just a casual sex partner, And they were posting this shit. Who knows when that knock's going to come on the door, even if you weren't boyfriends, even if you didn't live together, if you weren't married. And I just think subconsciously part of your brain was like, yeah, no, I don't need that. I don't want to be with someone whose kink they roll out, that they indulge in and enjoy in such a risky way. So yeah, you're allowed to call it, to say you're not interested in seeing this person anymore for this reason. You didn't necessarily have to tell him that this was the reason. You only hooked up once, then he showed you his OnlyFans, and then you weren't interested in hooking up with him again. You didn't have to yuck his admittedly risky Yum by telling him you disapproved, or you thought he was being reckless, or you were concerned for his safety, physically, legally. You didn't have to say any of that. You barely knew this guy but you said it and he had the reaction that he had. He felt judged and shamed and he's allowed to feel that way. And he's allowed to say so publicly. And a lot of people post screenshots of chit chats with, you know, potential people they were going to hook up with on Grindr or, or screenshots of text messages they've exchanged with somebody who pissed them off. That does seem to be a thing people do, a risk we know we're running when we create that digital record with someone and I think it's an asshole thing to do, but as long as you don't include somebody's identifying information, ugh, it's not as asshole as it could be. Anyway, clearly you weren't a good match for this guy. You weren't going to be his wingman. You weren't interested being the person running interference for him the next time he wanted to do a photo shoot in public with his dick out. And subconsciously, I think you didn't want to run the risk of being in the room with him when the cops showed up, when he got in trouble for this shit, which I'm not saying he definitely will or inevitably will, but there's a good chance he might. And, you know, when you zoom out to 30,000 feet and think about this for a second, for most of recorded human history, we had very little privacy. People fucked in caves (laughs) in front of other people. People lived tend to a room and had to find a spot off in the woods to fuck or get it on as in Midsummer Night's Dream by William fucking Shakespeare. And there was always a chance that some 16th century Karen might come along and see that or some cave kid might wake up, roll over and see that. And yet we survived and the human race didn't collapse or go extinct. And I'd like to think that People even today are resilient enough that seeing something you didn't want to see, that you find offensive, that was inappropriate, as unpleasant as that might be, is something that you can and will survive. The thing, of course, that a lot of exhibitionists don't take into consideration or do take into consideration and selfishly set aside is that there are people out there who've been stalked or harassed or sexually assaulted or flashed and we're traumatized by that. And so since you can't know who's going to walk by or come into that bathroom or appear on your doorstep when you're having a wank, you are taking the risk of re-traumatizing someone and making someone feel afraid. And yet the kind of exhibitionism that this guy is engaged in, it's not the same thing as pulling it out on the bus, sitting down next to somebody and having a wank when they can't escape. It's not driving up next to somebody and asking them to walk over to your car to give you directions. And then you're having a wank or your dicks out. This is a kind of performative exhibitionism online that this guy can control for not showing it off to anybody who doesn't want to see it. Anybody who goes to his only fans, anybody who goes to his Twitter wants to see it. He's not exposing himself in those venues to people who don't want to see it. So I wouldn't class him with those kinds of selfish, asshole, sexually aggressive exhibitionists who are seeking out people to make them feel afraid and unsafe in public. Still, you're right. He is running a risk. All right, before we get to listener response calls, let's read some listener tweets. JD Swo tweets concerning the heteroflexible vibration lover in episode 808 who wants to find partners more comfortable with the way she orgasms. She should move by pan folks to the top of her search, more likely to be open to various options, not just the PIV race that straight folks tend to focus on. Good advice, JD Swo. Thanks for writing. Joe Lilly 2016 tweets. Thanks at Fake Dan Savage for pointing out that some men in hetero relationships are oral bottoms slash subs and aren't interested in receiving blowjobs. I'll go down all day long, but to me, the joy is in giving, not receiving. You're welcome, Joe. And I'm right down there with you. Oral subs forever. And Dr. Stacy Hannum tweets, hey, at OED, time to give Dan Savage his due and put pegging and derivatives into the dictionary. He makes a compelling etymological case for you in episode 810 of the Savage Lovecast. Come on, if Texas street preachers are using the term to scare people, it's not fringe anymore. Thanks for rattling the OED's cage, Dr. Hanum, and you too, KT and TapTapTap, Tap, Tap, and everyone else who tweeted at the editors of the Oxford English Dictionary about pegging. And once we get pegging in there, we move on to Santorum. All right, thanks to everybody who tweeted about the show last week. If you want me to read your tweet on next week's episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to include the hashtag SavageLovecast. And now, listener response calls.
10: Hi, this is a call in response to the apparent outrage over your interview with Christine Emba. I just wanted to say that I enjoyed the interview and I'm looking forward to reading her book. I think it can be easy to confuse genuine concern for the way young people are engaging with each other sexually with inciting a moral panic about casual sex in the youths. But the reality is we can be sex positive and believe that people should have, be free to have the kind of sex they wanna have while recognizing that most young people and especially young women are not having sex that feels fulfilling to them. I'm an empowerment self defense instructor who spends a lot of time talking to teens about sex and reading about what the research says about sex among college students. And Emba is right, consent is a really low bar. We're doing a terrible job as a society of fostering bodily ownership and agency among girls and women. And without that, consent is almost meaningless. If you aren't familiar with your own body and either don't know what turns you on or don't think sex is really about you or your body is really for you, then you're going to say yes to a lot of sex that isn't about you or for you and may not even be wanted by you. On top of that, we seem to have replaced the dominant Christian culture stigma toward casual sex with a stigma toward love and intimacy. Despite most young people reporting that they want more connection in their sexual encounters, they seem to view catching feelings like like it's a disease. And they're so afraid of vulnerability that many of them feel the need to get shit-faced drunk just to get naked with someone." And once again, this mostly hurts young straight women whose casual sex partners are less likely to treat them with empathy and less concerned for their pleasure. So I just wanted to say thanks for having Emba on and keep provoking.
1: This is in response to the caller who wants to want to suck her boyfriend's dick, but the patriarchy is getting in her way. Caller, you said that your boyfriend loves you, but you never mentioned how you feel about him. From the context, it seems like you don't trust him. At least you don't trust that he's on your side against the patriarchy. If he's on team sexist asshole, which he very well may be, then it makes good sense to me that you wouldn't want to suck his cock. And I think you should just let him suck his own dick if that's the case. However, if he's a genuinely good guy, that is if he gets it and is actively working to be your ally, then I hope you let him join your team. If that happens and you want to get your face down in his crotch i hope you do what you want down there not what you think he wants or what's sexy or what other people do because if you are enjoying yourself that is going to be the hottest thing for everyone involved and i want to point out that the possibilities include you dominating him even with his dick in your mouth having my most sensitive parts literally in the jaws, in the maw of another person, that is not a position where I'm feeling powerful.
4: Hi, Dan. I'm calling in response to the caller that uh, called about the uh, blowjobs and patriarchy. I'm in such disagreement with what Dan you said about being willing to submit, although, I mean, maybe it works for some people. I am... Uh, not submissive never will be. It's not my thing, but I definitely understand also this connection between patriarchy and resistance to blowjobs. But, caller, I have another idea for you. I love giving head. And to me, a beautiful hard cock is a candy and it's delicious. And I am a queen and he's in my power and I'm giving this pleasure that I have. And There's nothing submissive about it, not even for a fucking second. And nobody's allowed to call me a slaughter or a cocksucker. And I'm a queen, and his dick is mine. I I claim it. I eat it. I love it. Fuck the patriarchy. Give me the candy.
3: And we're going to leave it where? We're going to leave it right there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? Use the Voice Memo app on your phone to record your question or your comment and email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. You can also call us and leave a message at 206-302-2064. If you missed Hump when he played in San Francisco, we are in Oakland at the New Parkway Theater this weekend. We're also at Merrill's Roxy Cinema in Burlington, Vermont on Saturday. Go to humpfilmfest.com to grab your tickets or streaming links if you want to watch at home. Also, unsolicited dick pic senders, why do you do it? We're looking for a few brave men, a few more brave men, to tell us why and hopefully why you stopped. Still looking for a Decency Day gift for that special someone on your Decency Day list? National Decency Day, May 14th, coming right up. It's not too late to order a Fuck First mug or a GGG coffee mug for the most decent people you know at Shop. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Rachel Cunliffe on Twitter at rm that's C-U-N-L-I-F-F-E. And follow Sarah Dysok on Twitter at SyrahDysok. D. That's S-E-A-R-A-H-D. The Savage Love Cast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian. And me and the tech savvy at-risk youth and Nancy, I'll we'll be back at you next week with an installment of the Savage Love Cast. Thank you for downloading